Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. My name is Doug Cunnington, and in this episode, I'm going to answer a few questions. I really like doing these uh, Q&A kind of sessions. Number one, these are topics that I know people are interested in because folks literally sent in a voicemail or an email. And I have like endless ideas because there are so many questions out there. So I want to personally thank um, all the folks that do send in questions. I do appreciate it. Most of the time I try and get back to you and let you know, hey, I'm going to put it in an upcoming episode. Be sure to keep a lookout for it. I don't always have a chance to do that. Sometimes I group questions together and that sort of thing, but I do appreciate it, of course. I hope everybody's doing well out there. The time that I'm recording this, many people are in the uh, lockdown phase of the COVID-19 coronavirus situation. For me, very strange. My day-to-day is roughly the same. I'm not going to the co-working space or anything like that. I'm not going into as many retail stores, which I usually don't buy anything during a normal week or something like that. But oftentimes I'll go walk my dog, Georgie. We'll go into these shops like Marshall's or Bed Bath & Beyond or Petco. We usually just walk through, but you know we're not going inside the stores currently, but we're still walking outside. And yeah, it's pretty weird because this is kind of my normal weekly, like day-to-day situation. Kind of quarantine just in general, all the time, apparently. So anyway, I hope everyone's doing well, staying healthy, washing your hands and all that good stuff. The questions we have for today, they range a couple different areas. And first one I'm going to cover is from Chris. And I'm just going to tell you like what's what's in store today. So Chris has a site. He's making about 500 bucks a month. He wants to know where to reinvest. Um, someone else, which I'll read out the names when I get to them, but uh, someone else is wondering about a blog layout versus a magazine type layout for their blog. And someone else is wondering, hey, should they start some niche where they can capitalize on the coronavirus scare, or if they should go with their their you know normal niche that they thought of before, or should they try and you know strike while the the iron's hot and all that kind of stuff. So before we get to the questions, and by the way, there's there's a, vo- a voicemail number. So Chris actually called in, left a voicemail, and I encourage you to do the same. Love to get the voicemails as a little extra flavor to the calls here or to the to the podcast that is because of the people call in and I don't have to talk the whole time. But before we get to the questions and the answers, got to give a shout out to Ezoic. This podcast is brought to you in part by Ezoic and I am excited to see that they have the site speed accelerator out there in place. I struggled getting the Google PSI, that's the page speed insight score, higher for some of my websites. Now, a few of my websites, I run super lean. There's not much going on. Images are optimized. They're kind of, they're pretty tight already, but some of my other sites, I do not um, well, I didn't optimize. I didn't do as good of a job in a lot of ways. And the cool part with the site speed accelerator is it makes it easy. You click a few buttons, you do a little bit of setup, but generally it's pretty fast. 
there's not that many areas that you could mess up on, which is an, a good thing. You know, there's not as many failure points. So you can check out this free seven-day trial for Ezoic. There's a link in the description. And it's worthwhile just to check it out, especially if you've never um, looked at Ezoic or any of their product offerings. I used to think they only did like display ads, but this is a full um, suite of products, a full suite of services and helpful things that you could check out. So if you struggled increasing your site speed, do check out the Site Speed Accelerator by Ezoic. All right, let's get to the first question from Chris. G'day Doug, my name's Chris. Uh, I've got a 10 month old site and over the past two months the site's been making about 500 US dollars a month. Um, so my question for you today is how can I reinvest that $500 a month into my site uh, to hopefully hit job replacement income a little bit faster? So some ideas that I've had are outsourcing the content creation, investing in a better hosting plan like Kinstar, um, buying Ahrefs or Surfer SEO or a similar tool that'll help me improve my content and keyword research, or maybe putting aside some money for accounting software or tax or business issues that may arise. Um, so yeah, I'd like to hear your thoughts on what you would do with that money to put some fuel on the fire and uh, get the site closer to $4,000 a month where I can think about quitting my job. Thanks, mate. Thanks again to Chris for sending in that question. And you know what? You did a great job, man. I could tell that you thought about what you were going to say. You made a concise uh, point. You gave me some preliminary information that I would need to answer the question. And then you asked clear questions. So number one, this can be universal, right? So it, even if you're not making 500 per month, if you're making $50 per month or 5,000, you could probably apply some of the ideas that I'm going to mention here. So I'm going to, you know, make it more general. And overall, um, what we hear is Chris would love to be making $4,000 a month where it's close to either replacement income or enough for him to, you know, pay the bills. So a couple things up front. Now, Chris mentions a, a few areas that he thought of to maybe invest more of the money back into the site. So number one, generally, I'm going to tell you that it depends. And most of the time, a blend of like allocating this money is probably going to give you the best ROI, like on average. Now, there could be examples and you could find like N of one type case studies where actually one that I talk about often is I published 200 articles in five months and revenue went up over the course of, you know, roughly 12 months from $100 a month to 15000 So that is one data point. And I put all of that effort and all the, the, I guess, investment capital, all my resources into that content portion. And it worked out really well. Later on, when I invested a similar amount of time and energy, I also invested in content and it didn't pay off as well because at that point in time, the site needed more backlinks. It didn't need more content. It needed more promotion and backlinks and that sort of you know, love from, from Google. So you kind of have to look at where your site is at a given point in time, evaluate you know, what you're doing well on and where you need to, you know, add those resources. With that said, Chris points out, hey, maybe I can outsource some of the content. Maybe I could improve the hosting. 
maybe I can buy a tool or use a tool like Surfer SEO or SEMrush or something like that so that I can improve the content. Maybe, right? So even deeper, Chris is talking about like accounting software or business, uh, yeah, business type uh, issues that may arise and just putting money away. So overall, uh, the number one thing that you should probably do is make sure you're saving money for taxes. So Chris, I'm not sure where you are in your journey yet or how long you've been making um, $500 a month. Oh, it sounds like two months. So depending on the country that you live in, and it, it sounds like you you have uh, potentially an Australian accent, if I may guess, I think that most most of the listeners, not everyone, but most of the listeners of the Doug show probably have to pay taxes. And because you're making money on the side in this case, you are not having taxes withdrawn. However, you will have to pay taxes at the end of the year, whenever that is for you. So here in the US, I usually, my rule of thumb was to save like one third to one half of any revenue that I made for taxes. It could be higher or lower, and it depends on your withholding from your your uh, W-2 job is what we call it here in, in the U.S., but wherever you're earning your money from your corporate job or full-time gig and taxes are withdrawn, it depends on how much is withdrawn, and, and you can sort of adjust that how you want depending on how you fill out your W-9. All of a sudden, I'm getting deep into tax forms, which I don't know anything about. This is just for in- entertainment purposes, so check with your accounting professional. But the the main thing here, make sure, Chris, that you're saving, I would say, roughly two to $300 of that per month for your taxes, all right? Just make sure that you have that or you're prepared to pay it in the future. What, um, and and I, I did that from the beginning, by the way. So I, I just knew that I was going to have to pay some taxes at the end of the year because I was earning a lot online. So once you have that out of the way, I recommend you look at your current state on your site. Is the content fantastic? Um, do you need help writing more content? Where is the missing piece? You mentioned maybe you could improve your site speed by getting a better hosting plan. Well, that, that could be great if you actually need to improve your site speed. Check out Site Speed Accelerator, by the way. And, and basically you got to look at where you're at. So you can't really like, as a rule, I would be, you know, it would be a disservice if I was like everyone out there, you have to use X, you need to do this or that, or you're missing out. It depends on where you are. So if you, if you've never built any links and you've only been spending time on content, like a lot of people do, I highly encourage you to, if you're not going to do a guest posting campaign, I encourage you to figure out how to connect with other people in your industry, in the niche, and be a hub so that you potentially can either get backlinks or promotion. You could be a podcast guest, depending on what the topic is and if you know much about it. So just figure out how to promote the site if you haven't done any of that. I know some people who spend a little bit of time on the content and they spend 80% of their effort on link building. Well, if that's the case, maybe they should publish a little more content and hire a content team. 
if they have a lot of content and they've done a decent amount of uh, backlinking and promotion on their site, but they've never gone back and iterated to improve the existing content, then sure, Surfer SEO or what was one of those other tools, uh, Market Muse, maybe that's where you can make an investment. So you really have to look at where you are doing well and where you've neglected uh, some of your effort and resources and make sure that you're kind of spreading it evenly. I believe that typically is the best way to you know, safely get an ROI. That is just my opinion. And I know that some people are like, ah, you know what? I totally ignore link building. I don't pay attention. I just let them come in naturally. That's a viable way to do it. And I encourage you, you know, if you want to have a specific um, approach like that, where you're like, hey, I am not going to do this activity because I don't like it. And I, I don't believe in it or, or something like that. That's okay. That's totally cool. If you don't want to do a certain thing, I don't want to do a service-based business in general. I don't enjoy that service-based situation. And for me, it doesn't work out. Other people love to build teams and and systems and, you know, work with clients and all that stuff. But you know what? I think if if you talk to them, they would say they actually don't like working with clients that much. They beat you up and, you know, they try and uh, really crush your margin a lot of times, but um, I digress. So anyway, Chris, I think I gave you some ideas to chew on. I didn't answer your question specifically, but I think that you should be able to uh, figure some things out. Now, let's go a little bit deeper into the question. At this time, when I'm recording this, again, we are deep in the... uh, COVID-19 situation. And I I personally run a fairly lean company. It's just me as a full-time employee. I have a couple of VAs that help me a few hours per week. And I generally keep a lot of cash on hand. So I can sort of weather the storm, even if it was a very long storm. I hope it is not a long storm. I hope things do return to, you know, not necessarily normal. I think normal is going to change a little bit. But I think um, from my perspective, from a cash flow perspective, I'm in pretty good shape. I, I run it. I run this business uh, very conservatively. Like I said, I have a lot of cash on hand compared to my monthly expenses. And my fixed monthly expenses are extremely low. And it's very flexible for me. I can ramp up a content team where I'm paying thousands of dollars per month, ramp it up and ramp it down super quick. Again, it it runs lean normally and I could, I could taper things down as I need to or want to. And I encourage you to figure out, you know, how are you going to run your business? Do you want to have a lot of cash on hand to handle and weather a recession, essentially. I'm seeing a lot of that on my YouTube feed, Instagram occasionally, and some podcasts that I listen to as well. So have a listen to to some of those if they happen to be from people that you respect and trust. I don't know that everyone out there is actually sharing advice that's, uh, you know, 
viable, to be honest with you. I see some people that are maybe not in a position to be giving advice, but yet they're giving it. I don't know. You know how Instagram is, but I digress and I'm going to get it back on the rails here. Let's hop over to an email sent in from Shannon. So a couple uh, random things in here. Mainly it's a compliment, but you know what? I'm going to go through it and I don't think there was a uh, specific question here, but he says, Hey, Doug, I wanted to let you know I love your show and I appreciate everything you're doing. I know it takes a tremendous amount of effort and dedication and it isn't always easy and it doesn't go unnoticed. Thanks a lot, Shannon. I appreciate that. And uh, Shannon actually is checking out Ezoic. So that's pretty cool. I like that. And he tells me about some beer. All right. So he says, beer I'm currently drinking. It's called the Pseudo Sioux Pale Ale, a fantastic beer made in Iowa. And uh, they have some very high ratings on Beer Advocate. It's insane. And they have the highest scores spread across the four beers they've ever seen. And you know what? I never got into Beer Advocate, but I, yeah, you know what? I don't know if I put a lot of weight into how the ratings are. I don't, yeah, honestly, I looked a little bit as I got into beer judging and realized maybe there were a lot of people who were just creating reviews and they didn't know what they were talking about. However, I mean, you can't ignore with like a huge amount of uh, aggregated information. Anyway, so back to the email here, maybe uh, you'd enjoy one or many. Uh, Either way, if I ever get to meet you, I'll buy you one or many beers. So that sounds good. I I would drink those beers. And one more thing, and this is from, uh, this is in the email. I should do voices, by the way. I should do voices so you can tell when I'm reading an email when I'm putting my own commentary. Okay. Shannon says this. One more thing. I hear you when you talk about drinking so much coffee that your breath turns terrible. I can relate. What I do now is switch to tea, yerba mate tea. It has the caffeine of coffee. Sorry. It has the caffeine of coffee, but you don't get the crash that coffee often gives you. It has an enjoyable taste when you add some honey and it might help with your bad breath. Thanks for the tip on the breath. That's really, um, you know, something my wife is going to appreciate a lot. So thanks, Shannon, for sending this in. And a couple notes. Number one, I've somewhat cut back on the amount of coffee, but part of it is like when you're, when you're fasting and you have coffee, there's like nothing to absorb the you know, foul aroma of the, you know, coffee as it goes into your stomach. And I have, uh, actually, I think like a pound of yerba mate tea. So I have, um, experimented and tried it. I dig all sorts of teas, black tea, green tea, uh, yerba mate, some other herbal kind of teas as well. I don't drink them as often because I do actually enjoy the ceremony of, making coffee and having the coffee in the morning and doing all that stuff. The other thing that I've done because I do drink a lot of coffee is I will, um, I'll do like half caffeinated and half decaf coffee just to make sure that I'm not having too much caffeine. I have, this has been a while, but I have had so much coffee where I end up getting like jittery And I have a pretty high tolerance for caffeine in general. So I have to drink like a pretty crazy amount of coffee to hit that point where, you know, I don't, I don't feel super well. And you know what? I don't, I don't necessarily get super jittery or crash, but a lot of times I'll be like more irritable. 
So that's how it manifests for me personally when I have too much coffee. But anyway, I've sort of tapered down a little bit on the coffee um, as far as like the caffeinated portion. And then I sort of limit how much I'm having. But thank you for the tip. And for people that haven't tried Yerba Mate tea, that is spelled Y-E-R-B-A. And it's a separate word, M-A-T-E. Yerba Mate. So if you haven't tried it, um, I encourage you to check it out. It is sort of earthy flavored and it's like earthy and herbal. So if you're not used to it, you kind of, I mean, it tastes, I would say like dirt a little bit, like if you're totally not used to it. So earthy is what you call it. So it doesn't sound like you're making dirt tea, which is really just, I think like watery mud. But anyway, Why don't we get to the next question and thanks for sending that in. All right. Russell sent this in for us. Thanks for the great content you're making. I've been looking into starting a website lately, but that virus and possible recession scares me. Do you think it's a good idea to start a niche site right now? He puts in a topic that he thought about getting into and hope the virus and panic will go away in a few months or start a blog on how to prepare to lock down and survive and that sort of thing and hope to get some traffic or just wait a few months to see how it's going to go. Again, I appreciate your content and the work you're doing. All right. Well, I sent a a quick answer back to Russell just because it takes some time to record these and for them to be published. And basically I said, you should start a site now. You should do that topic that you were thinking about and move forward. You're going to be glad that you started your site sooner than later. There's no reason to wait, in my opinion, unless you don't have extra time. But from where I sit, it seems like people will have extra time because they're at home, potentially working from home. And if you're fortunate enough to be able to work from home, or if you're not working from home, you probably have time to do some side hustle stuff that you didn't have time to do before. So with that said... I don't recommend that you try to start like a prepping or survival site unless you're into that topic. And the thing is like you're trying to capitalize on a trend that is like big right now. If you are starting it from scratch, there are so many people that are so far ahead of you. Survival and prepping has been huge for many, many years. In fact, when I first got started, Digital Marketer, this is a, uh, a company, so digitalmarketer.com was doing a lot of case studies and sharing information about one of their big sites, one of their most successful sites out there, at least at the time, called Survival Life. You could go check it out. Go check out Survival Life and see how much content they have. Check out all their excellent marketing that they're doing and the products that they sell. What you'll find is it's been out there for like, I don't know, eight years, six years, something like that. And as Digital Marketer was growing and sharing information about survival life and the case study in general, a lot of copycats sprung up. Some of these are like just huge sites on their own. I mean, it's a huge industry. There are TV shows about it and it's ginormous, basically. It's ginormous. The whole point being, if you try to start something right now, and you're thinking, hey, like this is an, a, a big trend that's going to move forward in the future and I can jump onto it right now, you're going to be behind. Trust me. Now, 
again, if you're into the topic, if you're into prepping and survival, then sure, like go, go for it. You got to be in it for the long haul, regardless, like whichever topic that you pick, you got to be in into it now. And the other thing is thing, things are going to shift, right? Uh, a couple months ago, I mean, who, who knows, right? Who knows all this stuff is going to happen? We have no clue. So like I said, aim for the topic that you're interested in, aim for the topic that you are already thinking about. And there's no reason to wait. Yeah, there's probably going to be a recession, but it doesn't mean that people aren't going to order things online. It could actually mean people are going to order more stuff online. I don't know. More people are definitely going to be trying to figure out how to do a side hustle and work from home. I'm pretty sure about that. So I'm glad to be sitting you know, where I am now. Got the podcast in place. I have years and hundreds of YouTube videos out there that teach people how to work from home essentially. So I'm, I'm glad that I have, you know, this in place as, as we are, you know, going through this right now. It's great. Helpful information out there. A lot of it, you know, for me is it's free. So anyway, Russell, I hope that was helpful and yeah, get started right away. Next question here is from Ken. Ken, what's happening? My wife has a niche blog and it has like a hundred articles adding to it all the time, high quality articles, and you know, they feel pretty good about it. We're starting to think that maybe it would be a good idea to change the layout from a plain grid layout to more of a magazine type layout. And this actually taking the steps to turn the blog into a real slash serious online magazine. All right. And continuing on, what positives and what negatives do you see people thinking about making the change. A few thoughts we have are such as if the visitors will view the site as more professional and be more accepting to click the affiliate link because it is, quote, a magazine. I know some people uh, prefer not to use affiliate links on private blogs, but the same people have no issues clicking on the same link on an online magazine. Also, we were thinking it's easier to get articles shared online as people are sharing a magazine and not a blog post. Lastly, let's say the magazine is doing a product review and on your little blog, you're doing the same review. What will the result be? Will the reader be more likely to share the magazine version because it's somehow more trustworthy? These are thoughts and I have zero clues if this is correct or not. The site is still fairly new. It's not ranking for anything major, but we will get there. What are your thoughts? thoughts. All right, Ken, that is awesome. It's cool that you and your wife are working together there. And a few questions overall. So number one, it sounds like you're you're trying to go from a quote, uh, grid layout to a magazine layout. And to be honest with you, I don't know what you mean. <laughs> I don't know what the difference is. It sounds like a formatting thing, like one's a grid layout and one is a magazine layout, but it depends on what kind of magazine you're talking about. Like, I don't really understand, like, what's the difference? I've seen a lot of magazine type uh, websites that have, you know, a grid layout. So if it's just a superficial change, and I'll answer some questions here. If it's just a superficial change from one layout to another, it's probably not going to matter, to, to be honest with you. I would tell you to aim for the one that looks the cleanest and is the least distracting. So that 
is the answer to that one portion. You're also talking about uh, taking the steps to turn uh, the blog into a real serious online magazine. So in this case, I guess I'm curious, like, what's the definition to you for a blog versus an online magazine? And I don't know specifically if one or another is going to be more trustworthy. Now, 10 years ago, a quote online magazine maybe would be more trustworthy than a blog. But nowadays, there are blogs that are, you know, multi-million dollar blogs out there. They're huge and very trustworthy. People can publish directly to the public. They don't have to be a quote online magazine or anything like that. So in this case, you know, I ask, what's the definition? Like what's the distinction between a blog versus a quote online magazine? So now you make some good points as far as like what the, the visitors will trust more. So something is more professional versus, um, you know, not as professional and clicking affiliate links. I don't personally find it an issue. I think people click links when they want to get information. They want to purchase the product or learn more about the product. So you mentioned that um, some people prefer not to use affiliate links on private blogs. You know what? I think that's the thing of the past. I'm not sure if that's a, a more of a I don't know, more of an issue in your circle of friends or people that you're around or anything like that. But I'm pretty sure I most of the people that I'm around are pretty comfortable either using affiliate links or they will intentionally use affiliate links to help support people that they like. I have done that personally myself many times. And finally, we'll move forward and get to the last one here. You say um, a magazine is doing a product review and your blog is doing the same review. What will the result be? I'm assuming you mean that um, as far as rankings and which one will rank better in Google and which one will earn more money. And the answer is it depends. It depends on like what the search query is. It depends on if the magazine article is a shitty review and yours is a better one, maybe yours would rank better. So for example, I was doing a live stream earlier today. I did a little uh, like live demo on content and I searched for best external hard drive because I was purchasing one some time ago. And basically there were the highest results, by the way, were shitty. They, they were they were big websites. I think um, maybe like Tech Radar or something like that. Huge site. They didn't have any information about the products. It was basically like a list of the products and links to go buy them. So really terrible, uh, no real information, not helpful at all. And if you were to scroll down, you would see there were better reviews by smaller bloggers for specific applications, like best external hard drive for videographers, for example. That wasn't one of them, but you can imagine that's a little more specific. And that little blog is actually going to do better because that's the information that I want. Now, your assumption is the reader will be more likely to share the magazine version because it's somehow more trustworthy. Well, I can't answer the that question for every instance. But in general, I think if you could keep the, the visitor in mind, keep the searcher in mind, and what 
they're trying to solve, what the problem is they're trying to solve, then you could figure out like, okay, here's how I need to orient my content so that it's even more valuable than a bigger site, even if it's a quote magazine. And I think it just could be a terminology thing. I I don't know um, why you feel like a magazine is more trustworthy than a blog. It may or may not be. And for me, you kind of have to look at it on an individual basis. Now, if your goal All right, you you mentioned sharing and people sharing your content and all that. So if your goal is to have more shareable content, then perhaps you're right. I don't really pay attention to, you know, shareability as much just because I'm not a social media type person. I really don't care if my content is shared as much. Maybe I should care more about it, but I prefer to aim for the SEO traffic. So keep that in mind. And I think um, I, I will shoot you an email, Ken, to get back to you. Number one, to let you know that this is going to be um, in, in an episode coming up, but also to ask some follow-up questions. Maybe we could do some follow-up um, answering as well. I have a few more minutes right now, and I'm just going to hop over to YouTube where people leave a lot of questions. And if you are only a podcast listener, I do appreciate you. I find that podcast listeners seem to be a little sharper, you know, across the board. And I mean, YouTube's great, but people get distracted. And I got to be honest, some of the questions that I see over on YouTube are sometimes really terrible. I, I do not know if it's like a a young child who doesn't really have a grasp of what we're talking about, but some of them are just so ill-informed. But got a couple good ones here, so I'm going to answer them. This one's from Mark J. Does your WordPress theme have anything to do with how you rank? And the, the quick answer, because it was a YouTube comment here, it shouldn't really matter. But if you have a bad theme that's slow, then it could hurt you a little bit. Generally, the theme should stay out of the way and load quickly. That is kind of my approach in general. I, If you look at Niche Site Project, if you look at the website associated with the Doug Show, you'll see they are plain vanilla. There's not many frills involved. So your your WordPress theme shouldn't impact your rankings. But if you have a very bad theme, then potentially it could. The next question from YouTube is, do you think Genius Link is something that we should use when we first start publishing the site or after you start getting more traffic? And that was from, quote, Healthman over there on YouTube. And this was uh, over on a, a video that was an interview with Jesse Lakes of Genius Link. If you're unfamiliar with Genius Link, it is a... An, I guess an intelligent affiliate link. Uh, what, what do they call it? It's a smart linking. Uh, I better look this up. I got to get this right for Jesse. Here's the tagline over on Genius Link. Squeeze more revenue out of every link you share. Genius Link makes localizing, tracking, and managing smart links dead simple. So you can earn more without added work. It's a pretty tight, very concise tagline and explanation. So for me, Genius Link's value is in the, quote, geo-targeting. And that means I can monetize my traffic coming from across the world to the relevant, if possible, to the relevant Amazon associate program for their country. So 
if someone in Canada finds my website, they will be directed over to the amazon.ca, the Canada version of Amazon or in the UK, for example. So that, that is the value for me. And to answer your question, I recommend you wait until you're getting enough traffic from those international sources. What is enough traffic? I believe over on Genius Link, they have a, a bit of a calculation um, to help you figure it out. For me, I would say if you're getting about 100 visitors from a geography, again, we'll just say the UK, for example, if you're getting like 100 visitors per day, then go ahead, check out Genius Link and you know, you'll probably be able to monetize and earn enough to cover the cost for Genius Link. I think some people may have a slightly different opinion, but that's my very, very basic rule of thumb. So about 100 visitors per day. If, if you're not getting quite that many, it could be okay as well. But just kind of look and see if you're getting enough traffic from a particular geography to make it worthwhile, basically. Thanks everyone who sent in questions or left a voicemail. Chris, you did a wonderful job. And I haven't gotten a voicemail in a couple uh, weeks here, so please do send one in. They are great to mix things up, and I, I feel like it builds some community. Everyone that I hear from is like, hey, it was really cool when you read my email, when you played my voicemail. I think it's cool and I appreciate it. So thanks everyone for checking out the episode at large as well. If you are new to the show, listen to a few of the other episodes, especially the success stories. People really love the success stories. Very inspiring. I hear, I know that they were the kind of, I mean, they were the reason why I got started doing anything online. I was hearing success stories. I thought it was super cool and wanted to check that stuff out myself and that was several years ago. I love having new subscribers, of course, but the biggest, the best thing you can do to help me out is to share the podcast with someone. Maybe someone you think would find it valuable. Maybe they want to start a side hustle. Maybe you've talked to them about affiliate marketing and SEO, but they really don't get it. Point them in my direction. I love to have new listeners, and that's the thing you can do that could help me. I know Leaving a review on iTunes or some other thing is kind of helpful, but if you can actually like connect me with one other person, that is fantastic and I really appreciate it. So thanks a lot out there. Everyone have a great day. Everyone keep washing your hands and be safe out there. 